and you know some businesses that are shut down. And also, if you close at five, you know they make some of these businesses you can reopen, but you got to close earlier than you used to because it won't get you before five. But five oh one, you're done. So I know it's real. I know people have suffered from it, no doubt. But at the same time, um, you know, for months, years. We talk about how the media lies. We talk about how they lie. They lie about everything. They twist everything. They turn everything. But then now, all of a sudden, now we want to believe them. Well, they're lying just now, just the same as they have been all this time. Nothing's changed. If they say 10 sick, that means probably one. That's about right. So just believe the Word of God, not the media. You know how many times I've watched the news since this happened? Zero. I care less what they got to say. I just stick to the book right here. I know what it says. It says the blood of Jesus is greater. Do you think the blood of Jesus has been greater than everything up until this point? Now it's not greater than COVID? In other words, COVID hasn't changed the Word of God. Just stick to that. I stood right beside a man. I was going to wait until months later to tell this, but I'll just go ahead and tell it. I stood right beside a man. It's been probably over a month now. Right beside him touching and he told me he said yeah my wife's got the COVID and I said really and I said how's she doing now well she's getting better and I said well well I'm glad she's getting better didn't phase me a bit COVID can't touch this I mean it can't touch this just like the death angel going through Egypt it went into every house that the blood of Jesus hadn't been applied to and somebody died but the houses that had the blood of Jesus applied to the doorpost nobody was affected Amen. Long time ago, I applied the blood to the door of my house. The door, the blood's been applied to the door of your house too. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you just need to act like it. There's no sense in going hiding in the closet, living in fear. Man, it's quiet in here. Y'all all scared? Y'all scared now? Because I told you I stood beside somebody with COVID, aren't you? <laughs> well, if I was gonna get it, I'd have done got it. I'm not going to get it. My wife's not going to get it. My kids are not going to get it. My grandma, my mama, my daddy, ain't none of y'all. You can't get it in here because it definitely has to stop right there at the door. Ain't no doubt about it. We said that from the beginning. You just got to make your mind up that you believe what the Word says. We're not supposed to go around in fear. Amen. Well, I didn't come to preach about COVID today. I just, you know, I heard about the old boy jumping out of the airplane with no parachute on. They said COVID killed him. Just crazy, isn't it? Now the funniest one I heard was a, a woman that said, "Honey, am I am I still as thin and you know pretty and all as I was before the quarantine?" And he said, well, "I don't ever remember you being thin." <laughs> and it said, uh, "You know, shortly thereafter he died, and the cause of death was COVID." That was a good one. <laughs> But we've been talking about the prodigal son for some, some weeks now. And as I asked the Lord this week, I mean, all week, I'm ready. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it's, we're probably shifting gears going a different direction. But when he doesn't tell you to go a different direction, that means you just stay where you're at. You can apply that to any area of your life. If you've got a job and you're thinking, I need a new job, I don't like this job, I need a new job, Lord, what do I need to do, what do I need to do, Lord, open the door, give me a job. Whatever your prayer is, you know what, stay where you're at until he does. Stay where he's at until the lamp lights it up so you can see where to walk. Because when you just make the decision on your own, you're just walking out into the dark. So I, me and Jonathan do the same. I know he does the same thing. If the Lord doesn't tell you to move, stay right there. Because you can get mad and run out the door. 
You quit the church because you're mad. But you better stay there until the Lord tells you to go to another church or until he tells you to move or he gives you the direction on which way to go. Amen? You might be mad because your neighbor's got a car. Better looking than yours. And then you're going to go run out and buy you one. That happens. You better wait till the good Lord just provides you one. How about that? So anyway, we're going to be in Luke 15 again today. Now I want to look at all three parables, and we've talked about all three of them in, in weeks past. But let's just start in the very beginning. Luke 15, the first verse. It says, All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, drew to him to hear him. Now I do want to point out that tax collectors is listed right here with sinners. Now I think that's, yes, very applicable, huh? And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. So then Jesus spoke this parable, saying to them. So he, he's got three parables here. The first one's about the lost sheep. And y'all heard of that? The shepherd goes after the sheep. And the second one's about the woman who lost a coin. And the third one's about the prodigal son, which is what we've been talking about for weeks. Now look right here in the fourth verse. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, uh, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, likewise, there will be no more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine just persons that need no repentance. Now, I want you to recognize here, it says that the shepherd, has, he is, there's a sheep that's lost. He's got a pen. He's got an area where all the sheep are gathered together, but there's one sheep, oh, Bob. Bob's missing. But he doesn't send anybody to go after that sheep. You notice it says he himself, the shepherd himself, leaves the 99 that are over here safe and sound, and he goes after the one. Now, that rang out to me or jumped out to me this week that he didn't send anybody, but that he himself went after the sheep. Now, I thought about um, intercession, and I thought about intersections because the word intercession actually comes from the word intersection. So my grandmother there is an intercessor. She's been in intercession, doing intercessory prayer my whole entire life. I've lived it, seen it with my own eyes, how she's praying for me, or she's praying for Trenton, or she's praying for Patrick, or she's praying for some of you that don't even know she's praying for you, but she's interceding for you. She's the intercessor. She's praying for people that come in the gas station that she meets here and there. She's been doing it her whole life. I've seen her do it. She's an intercessor. You know what? That means there's an intersection. Something's got to bring God, something's got to bring you and Jesus together. And that intercessory prayer is what makes the intersection happen. Do you understand? So you just see here that the shepherd goes after the sheep. He goes after the sheep and brings the sheep back. Uh, he himself. Jesus had to come. The shepherd had to go. The shepherd had to go find you, the lost sheep, and bring you back. He, he, was the, he made the intersection. Do you, do you see that? I know we talk about how we found Jesus, and I think there's even some songs about we found Jesus, but the reality is you ain't found nothing. He's never been lost. you the one who's lost. He found you. Think about how hard you had to look this morning for two socks at match, and you think you're going to find Jesus? He came and found you. 
I sure am glad he did, aren't you? And you think about sheep, you know. We're the sheep. And if you look and study up on sheep, they're not the smartest little fellows. Um, they're not that smart. And this one sheep that ventures off, evidently he's really not too smart. What did other sheep say when he left? <laughs> exactly. That's a good one, but that's not what they said. What they said was, what an idiot. He's going to get out there and get killed by wolves. He's gonna, a lion or a bear or something's going to attack him, kill him. He's never going to survive out there. What's he going to eat? What's he going to drink? He's probably, they're stupid. They drink the, they'll drink anything you put in front of them. That's why a shepherd has to lead them to clean and to still waters. But anyway, they say he's never going to survive. He's going to get killed. He's going to get what he deserves. That's what he gets for being stupid. Christians do the same thing. You see one of the flock that ventures off and gets out into drugs or alcohol or out into uh, uh, adultery or having an affair, just living in the world, and you think, what an idiot. Yeah, well, he got what he had coming to him. He deserved it. Shouldn't have went out there. That's what, that's what happens. It happens more times than not. But look how much the shepherd cared about that one. That he left and went out there and put himself in harm's way. He put himself between the wolf and the sheep. And that's what Jesus did for you and I. Amen? Now you look right here in Mark, the sixth chapter. Yeah, you can stay right there in Luke because we're going to be in Luke. But let me just show you right here on the screen in Mark, the sixth chapter, the 31st, fourth verse. Jesus came out, saw a great multitude, and was moved with, their, with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Jesus recognized, hey, these people are like sheep without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd, they won't survive. Sheep aren't smart. They get themselves. You know why it says he's going to lead them by still waters? And my microphone just quit working. Awesome. Two weeks in a row, something's happened. We're trying to video. Oh, now it's working again. Roll tide. So anyway, <laughs> he, uh, he says, they're like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Well, he talks about the still waters. You know, if a sheep, that's why he leads them beside still waters. If they get into the water, their wool absorbs the water. And if this water is moving, it'll, it, they can't get out and they'll go down and drown. That's why he carries the sheep beside the still waters. But if the shepherd's not there, the sheep don't have enough sense. He'll go right on out into that moving water. His wool absorb it and he'll, he'll be drowned. I've studied up on sheep. And I found another thing. You know how the pictures, they look all white and fluffy and all that stuff? They're not. They're stinky and smelly. I remember going to Oak Mountain one time when I was in elementary school and they had some sheep out there and they were shaving that wool and there's flies and everything. Ugh. Like the pictures you see, it's not like that in real life. But the shepherd went himself. And you look in John, the first chapter, 17th verse, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to say the law was given through Moses. Now I can give uh, any of you a gift through someone else. I can mail it to you to California. It's from me, but I'm sending it through UPS or FedEx or through uh, some other carrier. It's not personal. But when I get in my car and I drive out there to California and I knock on your front door and you open the door and I say, I got you something, now that gift came through me. I brought it. You see, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It was personal. It was personal. He came personally for you and me. 
Amen. Praise the Lord. So I want you to see how important you are uh, right there in that first uh, parable. You're important. Every sheep is important. Every human being is important. In the eighth verse of Luke, he says, A woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light up a lamp. Sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. When she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors uh, together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I said to you, there's, there's joy in the uh, presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There was joy yesterday. We had about 10 or 12 people get saved at the race. There was joy. Heaven threw a party. It's a good thing. Every time. That's because you know why? You're valuable and I'm valuable and all human beings are valuable uh, regardless of what you, how you dress, what you think, how you act, or any of those things. You're all valuable to God. You're valuable to God. You know what? If you're a Muslim, you're valuable to God. You're his child. He loves you. Does he agree with what you're doing? Absolutely not. But are you valuable? Absolutely so. Yes. Yes, you're valuable. Whoever this morning's Laid up in a drug house somewhere. Valuable. Very valuable. My children aren't any more or any less valuable to me based off uh, their performance. Now, they did get first and second place yesterday. That's all I ask. <laughs> I mean, but they're no more valuable to me first or second or, or last. That doesn't change a thing. They're valuable to me because they're mine. Amen. Now, Mackenzie, she has been out fishing Mason. I just, I, well, I think he might have outfished her once, did he? Maybe. But you outfished him how many times? Go ahead and tell it, bud. So, Miss can't even count. So, the value did increase a bit there. I was proud. I was very proud. So, one thing she said one time that made me really proud, it had to pop a tear out of my eye. She said, you know, you can't put beta fish together. They, they kill each other. Did y'all know that? So she couldn't decide if she wanted this beta or this beta, and this one or this one. She said, well, I'll just get them both, and whichever wins, that'll be mine. <laughs> yes. I love it. So anyway, where was we? <clears throat> Value. Yeah, these coins were valuable. I want you to see that. These, these coins are valuable. And there's no insignificant details in the Bible whatsoever at all. Not a word on any, in any page on any scripture. Everything has significance. There's no coincidence. There's no, I don't know why that's in there. Everything's in there for a reason. Will you know, know it all? Will I know it all before we get to heaven? No. But I'm endeavoring to learn as much as I can between here and there, I can tell you. But silver coins, why wasn't it copper or why wasn't it gold? Gold's worth more. Copper's not worth as much. Why was it silver? Well, silver, the word silver means desirable. If you look it up in, in the Greek, silver means desirable. It, these coins were desirable. Um, you look at the first, the, the first parable here in Luke 15. is about a shepherd. Shepherd going to get a lost sheep. And then the third parable is about the father and his lost son. I think that the second parable right here is representation of the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's why God used a woman here in this story as a representation of the Holy Spirit because I think a woman's way more in touch. I don't think it, I know it. A woman's way more in touch with feelings and emotions than a man is. And you look at the fruits of the Spirit. Joy, peace, 
Those two things right there, you feel them. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit's here whether I feel it or not. I, I know what I'm running on, but I also like to feel a lot I'm running on. When the Holy Spirit, when the presence of God's there, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it come over me. I feel the anointing. You don't have to, nobody has to tell me, hey, the anointing's upon you. Trust me, I know. I know what it's like to preach with it. I know what it's like to preach without it. Sometimes it starts on the first song. Sometimes it starts halfway through the sermon. Do I know why? Absolutely not. But I do know, the, I recognize the difference. I can tell the move of the Spirit. I can feel it. I can feel it. Now, I was thinking about men and emotions and men and uh, their feelings. And um, I was thinking about when I was a, I remember when I was 14 years old, my sister was born. And she had yellow jaundice. And she's laying under that lamp right there in my mother's bedroom. And we couldn't touch her. She's just a wee little baby. She just came off from the hospital. And I was 14. And I remember standing over and crying. Makes you want to cry now. I don't even know why. Anyway, speaking of feelings and emotions, what a wuss. But anyway, I stood over and I cried. But I can honestly remember prior to that day, I don't even, I can't, I can't remember crying. I remember playing in the neighborhood and getting hurt real bad, and, you know, just playing football, riding bikes, doing something and getting hurt, and I wouldn't cry, and I never let my friends see me cry. They never see me cry. It's weird. This kid grew up next to me. He was a little older than me, about six years older than me. I never saw him cry, so since he didn't cry, I just assumed I'm not supposed to cry. And my papa, I mean, dear Lord Jesus, all the things that happened to him, and he didn't even put a Band-Aid on it, much less cry. So, you know, in my little young mind, that's just what you're supposed to do. A man. Gotta be tough. Can't shed any tears. And I think I probably went from the time I was 14 years old. I don't. I can't recollect any time of uh, breaking down and crying until uh, me and my wife was trying to have uh, children and things weren't working out. So she went to the hospital. They had to put her to sleep and they did some tests. And she's just laying there, sound asleep. You know, she's out. And the doctor says, "Well, you know, we did the test and it's just not going to happen." Tell me why it wasn't going to happen. I said, "All right." So he leaves the room, <coughs> and uh, I just laid my head uh, on my wife and cried. I did. I didn't tell her that for like 10 years after that. But that's what I did. It, it, it hurt me. Not because I wanted a kid so bad, because, because for her. You understand? And uh, I could keep on going stories. I don't need to drive the point home any further. My point is, men and women are different in this area. I grew up watching my mother cry over long-distance commercials, okay? <laughs> and they were kind of sad, some of them. They are kind of sad. Um, men, women are more in, in tune with these things. And so that's why I think he used a, a woman there. Absolutely, the Holy Spirit, there is a feeling associated with it. You look in James, the fourth chapter, the fifth verse. He says, or do you think that Scripture says in vain? The Spirit who dwells in us yearns. Jealousy, and there's a good jealous and there's a bad jealous. This is a good jealous, but jealous is a feeling. You feel it. And also it says that she lit up this lamp. She lit up this lamp. We, we preach this, that the Holy Spirit is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path so we can see where to go, that, the, that God has sent us the Holy Spirit to help us, to lead us, to guide us. He's right there with us every step of the way. So this lamp and the lamps burning with oil, oil is also a representation of the Holy Spirit, but she lights this place up so she can see and she moves everything and she sweeps and she looks every nook and cranny and she gets this coin. Amen. This coin is a silver coin. Why is it, why is it silver? 
Well, silver coins had images on them. Silver coins had images on it. You remember they came up to Jesus and they said, Jesus, well, what do you think about paying these taxes? He said, bring me a coin. They brought him a silver coin. He said, or they brought him a coin. I don't know if it was silver. He says, whose image is on it? Caesar, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's. Do y'all remember that? What image do you think's on you? That coin had an image on it. He said, give that coin with that image on it. Caesar's image, give it to Caesar. And give to God what's God's. What image is on you? Genesis, uh, the first chapter in the 27th verse says that you and I, we were created in God's own image. Do you know what? God's very own image is on you. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. You're his. You're valuable. You were created in his own image. That's very important. His image is on you. What, how do you determine the value of something? You take some coins now, dimes, nickels, pennies, quarters, I don't care whatever they are, and some of them are worth hundreds of dollars. Some of them are worth thousands of dollars. Now, when they were made, they were worth 10 cents or 5 cents or a dollar, whatever the coin is worth. But now hundreds of years have passed. Now they're worth what? They're worth whatever somebody will pay for them. The value of anything on this earth is determined by what somebody's willing to pay for it. If it's for sale, somebody's willing to pay for it? Yeah, let's sell it. Well, how much did God pay for you? The blood of his son, Jesus. That's how valuable you are to him. That's what that coin's representing. You've got to understand that, that he left the 99 to go after the one. He brought the sheep back. And that coin, how valuable, how valuable are you? I want you to see how valuable you are to God this morning. In the 11th verse, now he's getting on down to the prodigal son. He said, then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of good that falls to me. So he divided them into his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered Everything together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions on prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself... And we stop right there for a moment. He came to himself. You've got to come to yourself. You've got to make your own decision. Ain't nobody going to make it for you. Can't nobody make it for you. You can't make it for me. I can't make it for you. Every human being is responsible for you. And you have to make up your own decision. You have to come to yourself and say, I'm going home. I'm going to surrender this. I'm tired of being in bondage. I'm tired of being bound. I'm tired of living this life or whatever it is. You've got to come to yourself. So that sheep didn't have any choice. He went out there and grabbed that thing, picked it up over and threw it over his shoulder and brought it onto the house. The coin didn't have a choice. She swept around until she found the thing, but a human being has a choice. You and I, we have choices. It's our own free will. Amen. He says, I will arise and go to my father's house. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck, and he kissed him. 
Now, I want you to see right here, the, the, the man had two sons, obviously, an older son and a, and, a, and a younger son. The younger son got his possessions, ran off, and the older son was there the whole time. We've talked about the older son, how the older son represents religion, and he's reminding his father of everything he's done right, and I've been here the whole time. Why are we having a party for this Yahoo? He's ran off. He's like one of the sheep that we've been talking about, the sheep that ran off. And he's, uh, he's, he's, he's performance-based. Look what I've done. But he had two sons, but both of them were unique. Now, think about my children. I have four children. They're all very unique. They're very different, very totally different, all four of them. A daughter who's 21 and three boys who are 15. They're all different. I see myself in all of them, and I see my wife in all of them. I even see uh, their grandparents in, in them. I see things, just little things, but they're all unique. Personalities are totally different. Uh, skills to do this or to do that, totally different. They're, they're unique. And you hear this sometimes. Um, well, I've never, me and my wife, we've never lost a child. Now, one time there was a miscarriage, but it was so early on, you know, we didn't get to hear a heartbeat, or we didn't get to see a picture of it, or you didn't get to feel it moving around. And so um, it wasn't as traumatic. You understand? And it's never going to be as traumatic for the man as it is for the woman. I mean, a man can't even begin to even relate to that. And I don't want to because I don't want to give birth. But anyway, all my kids are unique. And you hear people, they talk about losing a child, whether they have a... Uh, uh, miscarriage at six, seven, eight, nine months, or if it's stillborn, or maybe if they just lose a child that's already been with them for a while, and uh, you'll hear people say, well, did they have any other kids? Like that makes it any less painful? No, because that kid's unique. That's, that, that, that kid's unique. Is it any, was it any less painful for the father? Did the, did the prodigal son's father ever say, well, at least I got, I got one son still here with me? No, he was on the porch every day looking for his younger son to come home. You know why? Because that son's unique and that son's valuable and he loved his son. Uh, we think about a group, like God loves us as a group. You've got to get that mindset gone. Yeah, sure, he loves this group right here, but he loves you individually as an individual. I, I, love, I don't love my kids as a group. I love them individually. God loves you individually. He loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. God created, think about this, he created the, the heavens and the earth, the stars, the moon, he, the solar system, mountains, streams, valleys, all the plants, all the animals. Everything's unique. Nothing's the same. All the animals are different. All the plants are different. Valleys, rivers, streams, everything is unique and different. Do you know what? You and I are unique and different. Do you know there never has been, there isn't now, or there never will be somebody born with your DNA? There never has been, there isn't now, there never will be somebody with your fingerprint? That's because you're a unique creation. God created you in His own image. Not only did He create you, He knows you. He created this world. This world's His unique creation in the fullness thereof. It's all His. He created all of it. And everything's unique. I want you to under, wrap your mind around this, how unique you are, how special you are, how much God loves you. Yeah, the father was grieved that, uh, that his younger son had ran off. His image was on that child. His image was on his child. You don't, 
You don't think the father saw himself in that child in one area or the other? Maybe he looked like him, built like him, talked like him, acted like him. Maybe the father was a little wild when he was younger. The Bible doesn't tell him. But I guarantee you the father sees something in that boy that was in him. He was unique. His image was on him. God's image is on you. The shepherd goes and gets the sheep. The woman finds the coin, but the son has a choice. Do you know, let me, let, me, let me let you wrap your mind around this. This may be a new world record, I don't know. Anna, come on up. World record time. I mean, I can preach for another hour if you want me to. I mean, trust me, it's my favorite thing to do, preach. I love it. Now, the week leading up to preaching, I don't necessarily love because sometimes the Lord doesn't give me the sermon until Sunday morning. I'm like, come on, can't you just give me something on Monday morning? Now, I love studying the Word. absolutely love it. If he would have went and got that boy and brought him home, that boy would have been just like the elder son. His body would have been there, but his heart wouldn't have been there. That's why the father's on the front porch waiting for him to come home. The father's on the front porch waiting for you to come home. I heard a story just this week that was very, very, very powerful. It said after World War I that the U.S. allocated some money to Europe uh, opened up some orphanages. And this man come walking into the orphanage and he had his daughter. He brought his daughter into the orphanage and he said, yes, this is my daughter. I'd like to leave her, her here with you guys so you can take care of her, feed her, make sure she has what she needs. And they said, well, you're the father? He said, yeah, I'm the father. And they said, well, as long as one of the parents are living, you can't, you can't leave her. Like, you've got to take care of her. And he said, well, I've been in prison camp for all these years, and I'm unhealthy, and I'm weak, and I have nothing. I can't work. He's in bad shape. He'd been in prison camp. He said, I, I, I can't provide for her. That's why I brought her to you guys. And they said, well, sorry, that's just the rules. The rules are that as long as one of the parents are alive, that you can't leave her. And the man said, let me get this straight. If I die, you take care of my daughter? He said, yes, sir. The story says the man grabbed his daughter and he brought her and he hugged her and he kissed her and told her he loved her. He grabbed her hand and he put it in that man's hand and he said, I'll make the arrangement. And he went out and killed himself. And when I heard that story, I thought about Jesus. And he said, Father, you mean to tell me I've got to die so that they can live? And the father said, Yes, son. And Jesus took your hand and he took my hand and he put it in the Father's house and he went and made the arrangements. And he died for you. And you may say, I'm not a prodigal. I'm not that far off. But I can tell you, everybody in this room's got something they need to bring home. Some area in your life, some little part, just like that ladder last week, some little part that we need to bring home. Jesus died so that you'd bring it home. Woo. Fires me up. 
Y'all been exceptionally quiet today. I just take that as you've been listening and paying attention and the Lord's been speaking to you. Just stand up. We've been out. We were out of church for a while. And some people ready to get back in because you missed the corporate worship. You just missed it. Other people, habits have created, they've got in the habit of not coming, therefore they're not coming. That's definitely sad. I think during this time we've realized just how good we've had it. Coming here when you want to. To worship God the way you want to. How quickly things can change. And it just makes it more valuable to me. Just like that coin was missing, it's like it's more valuable to me now. It's like you can take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Don't take one word that comes out of this book for granted. Don't take one opportunity from standing, sitting, or being in the presence of God or under the anointing. Don't take it for granted. That's why he says do not forsake the gathering of the church because it's very important. You need to be here. Banana's going to sing. What we're going to do is just take the next few moments I just want to picture, I want you to picture this long road. Just close your eyes. Picture this long road. It's got big old tall, big old tall southern pine running down each side of the road. This is a long road. It's a smooth, it's a brick road, like a cobblestone road. There's a big old house at the end of it. And your father's on the porch. He's looking for you. He doesn't see you, yet you're too far away. As soon as you start down that road, he's going to run off that porch. He's going to come out and meet you. It's whatever it is that you've been hanging on to, holding on to. It may be a little thing. It may be a big thing. It's not my business. It's nobody's business. This is between you and the Lord this morning. But if you've got something you need to bring on home, there's no time like the present. We're just going to take this next few moments and worship and give you an opportunity. The altar is open.